If you've spent any time at Lines in the last two years, the guests of this episode are likely already known to you. In July of 2020, Tyler Edders put out a request for contributions to start a project named Dronecaster. The proposed Nornscripts mission was simple. Cast drones for hours, send it out to your gear, and dot wave whatever beauty returns. He found his first collaborator in Ryan Laws, known as License on the forum. Ryan helped build a super collider template, which not only deployed Tyler's initial vision, but made it easy for others to contribute as well. Among those was Zach Scholl, known as Infinite Digits, whose Norn scripts blender and barcode were already becoming instant classics within the community. The energy exchanged between these three artists, all collaborating remotely in the early days of the pandemic, helped establish a line-centric chapter of the polymath Northern Information. In the years since, Northern Information has become home to a growing group of musicians and developers navigating the late stages of the Anthropocene. This episode is comprised of separate but dovetailing conversations with Tyler, Ryan, and Zach, each recorded almost two years ago. And in the time since, lines in the community surrounding Norns have gone through immense changes. As I revisited the audio, I was struck by how much possibility was still latent in their reflections. These perspectives remain incredibly energizing and inspiring, and I'm so humbled to be able to share them as the 23rd episode of Sound and Process. If you're at all interested in this world, Tyler, Ryan, and Zach have all paved remarkably generous starting points. And I hope you'll find through this episode, if not new maps for being in digital community, at least new criteria to weigh the value of your experiences online. Without further ado, this is Sound and Process, episode 23, with Tyler Edders, Ryan Laws, and Zach Scholl. Thank you so much for listening. Northern Information began sometime in the mid 2000s as a, um, it was essentially a publishing house. I was producing these little metaphysical trifold pamphlets that I'd carry around with me and distribute to people. And Northern Information was the official looking logo on the back of it. And it originally started as more of a visual project, but then I thought it'd be fun to call a music project after that. I had sort of this vision of the Northern Information movement and attaching the word movement to the end. And it sounded really mysterious and semi-threatening, but like also sort of like it's information. Like, what are you talking about? How can there be a movement around that? And then Northern's hilarious because it's totally relative. So what, like Northern Hemisphere, North America. Um, So at the very beginning, it was a bunch of really... I, I was uncomfortable calling it a band because bands have a very strong commitment associated with them, I think. And it was just more friends that would get together and write interesting music. So my old childhood friend, David Kvistad, uh was one of the first. We were just noodling around with like synthesizers and guitars. And then Adam Moore, was one of my longest collaborators, um, he joined The Fold pretty early. And then Arthur's a Drink and Pasha Petrosian, uh, my wife Sage. So all of us would sort of just kind of like cycle in and out. At the beginning, it was very much noodling in the studio, 
was the primary shape and that was a really fun period and then it morphed into very much a live project and we had live drums and live guitar and live bass and live cello and that was a blast and a totally different context for the whole thing and then we did that for a number of years and then it was only recently that i came back to the name um when i got involved with the lines community and then in the pandemic and covid times and the isolation era it's it's morphed into a code band or something. Like I don't even really know what, what to call it yet. But even that sort of, it, it's a really weird intersection of um, open source and music. And, you know, being in a band, it, there's different degrees for everyone, I imagine. But for me, being in a band was always like a really serious commitment. It was always like, all right, man, are you ready to drop out of college and break up with your girlfriend to tour with us? type of thing. So it was like really serious and I've kind of gotten an aversion to that now. But one of the best parts about open source software is you can just drop in and help out, come in with what you know, um, share ideas in a really efficient way with version control and collaborate remotely, asynchronously. You obviously don't need to be in the same room at the same time. So it's been a really interesting container to work artistically and collaborate with other people. And it's been really rewarding. And it's a, it's a shape that I never would have imagined or dreamed up it was just really emergent and you know i it's not something that i set out to do it's really just a natural outgrowing of how positive and supportive the lines community is that it was able to take on this shape and um i don't know i just sort of let go and said oh this is sort of fun like what if we just open this up more So I met Ryan, a.k.a. License, through the Dronecaster project. Um, I had this idea for Dronecaster. I just wanted a little a little drone app, but I didn't know anything about Super Collider. And he, he volunteered really early on to help out with that. So we started collaborating there. Tyler uh, posted in August about Dronecaster, and he was like, I want to make this thing that makes drones but i don't really know super collider can anybody help and i was like okay i don't really know super collider super well but like maybe enough to help out here so i jumped in and uh i was pretty amazed at how far he'd already come with the ui even you know despite not having the super collider bits built out he had like literally everything else so um when I when I build something, I try to make it as applicable as possible, I guess. But I looked at what he had, and it was this really, like, idiosyncratic thing with, like, a big-ass power... I don't even know what those things are called. They look like giant robots. But uh, that's, like, his signature, right? And then um, had the little seagulls flying next to it. I was like, this looks like a video game. This is awesome. And he was just, like... He was so motivated to make this thing happen, despite not knowing how to do, like, the 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 drone part of it the the like what, what almost seems like the rubber meets the road part but he's like hey I, I could use help with this and i don't know it was just like it just seemed like really brave to just throw that out there and, and ask for help on that and i just i don't know i really respected that so i was eager to help with that
So then when I had the idea for Yggdrasil, I had just finished Arcologies, and then Ryan and I had continued working on Dronecaster and iterating on that. And uh, I asked him if he would be interested in building an engine for Yggdrasil, which he totally was. And this engine's really cool because it's actually three very different voices all played in the same engine, which is something I didn't know you can do with Super Collider. But now that I understand a little bit more, of course you can. You could play a whole symphony in a single engine if you wanted to. With Dronecaster, I think there was a challenge that was new to me, which was like, and I kind of like took this on myself, um, where I saw that there was this one file that was like the place to go put the drones. And I looked at that and I was like, dude, this file's going to get like really nasty merge conflicts. And um, you're going to have to like refresh the engine every time you want to load a drone. And I wanted to see if there was a way to make that workflow kind of better, not just for contributing, but for working on stuff. And I was able to get that off the ground. Um, so that was that was kind of a fun challenge I made for myself. And then with um, with Yggdrasil, I think it was a little more, uh, I guess, UX oriented. I liked this idea that you have this tracker and you're only going to have like a couple of built-in synths and they have to be kind of flexible because I've never really done anything like that. I always do like little goofy ad hoc things. So trying to think of something that would be flexible but still have character was kind of a fun challenge. So I wanted three different unique voices and uh, we had a lot of fun collaborating on what those sound like and we're sending each other like 90s dance tracks back and forth to get inspiration. And then um, I had been aware of Zach's work through all the scripts that he had been releasing. I, I forget the exact order of everything, but I think I reached out to him and asked if he would be willing to help with some of the soft cut pieces. And he was he was all for it. And he brought a really incredible chord library to it as well. So you can feed it chords like, you know, s- typing out C major or something, and it will look up all those notes and populate them for you. So he, he did a lot of work there. I think I just actually went to check up on what Tyler was doing, because Tyler makes all sorts of amazing things. And I just went to his GitHub and I saw he had started this Northern Information kind of repository organization. And then I saw Yggdrasil, and I was like, oh man, what is this? And it's it was immediately, like, so cool to me. Like, uh, trackers are really, really fun. And then Tyler put this really cool twist on it, and it allows you to do all these kind of generative things. But for me, uh, I started using it. I was like, oh, this is really cool, but I would kind of like to use, like, make it really easy to add in chords. So then I told Tyler, and he was like, yeah, 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 let's do it. And then we sort of joined in with uh, Ryan, too. So And it was kind of like a nice division of labor, 
and it was very easy kind of to collaborate because Tyler did a great job and spent some time to make a really nice framework. Like I tend to make like a single script because what I do is I have like a one idea, I put it in one script and it ends up maybe being too big. Um, what Tyler has done and what I've started to follow is basically breaking things up into little libraries. Because Lua lets you make these classes. And so a class is sort of a self-contained thing, like, for example, a chord or a note or a track for the tracker. They're all their own thing, their own library. So when you're looking at the code, you're only looking at kind of what you need to look at. You don't really need to care about how the keyboard is interacting with your chord library, because that's in another piece of the code somewhere else. I also add the soft cut, um, some samples. Um, that's something I basically add to a lot of my scripts. So I was very familiar with it. I think it was just Tyler and it was easy. Tyler and Ryan were less familiar with it and it was easy for me. So it was no problem because it is, it's like the barrier, I guess for them was, was big, but it was actually a very small thing. I think they both know how to do it now for sure, but those barriers can be kind of foreboding, you know? Like when you don't know something, you don't know how long it will take you to know, and it may seem complicated. If you're really, really like at the bottom of the hill in terms of what you need to learn, um, I guess it's part of it is just how much you want to take on learning and, and, and digging into documentation and Googling stuff and reading forum posts and, and toiling away to... Um, to grasp all that stuff. And then um, the other part is how much do you want to have to decide for yourself or how much do you, do you trust yourself to make the right decisions? So I think um, figuring out what you, where you really want to grow, I think is, is a big part of that. And, and uh, maybe even time boxing it and saying like, okay, I want to spend a week trying this out on my own. And then I'll have an idea of what else I need to figure out. And then also, which parts of this I'm really not enjoying. I spent way too much time um, calculating what to do and not enough time just doing stuff. So if you go back and look at my first few contributions to to lines, you know, it was like little, you know, Markov chains or little Conway's Game of Life things. Like really, they were just like fun weekend projects, you know, it wasn't like, masterminding some huge elaborate thing or whatever it was just like i'm just gonna throw stuff out there and like see see what happens and i think that's a lot more fun it's a lot more gratifying way to work it's a lot more like improv than it is you know engineering or something which is which is what's really fun about code as art or development as art and that's why norns is so awesome because you you can write a huge ambitious script like arcologies or you can write a little tiny banger that you knock out in a couple hours that still does something really interesting and really musical. It's hard to kind of like get people into programming because I think a lot of people often start with programming logic, basics and stuff, but that's not so practical. And when it comes to music, a lot of people are into the practicality. Like, show me the music. <laughs> I feel like most of the scripts I do are just explorations of things, either explorations of norns or just explorations of music in general. But that's also what I did before I had a norns. I had to make a lot of my own tools. 
it's so much easier to come in with all the wheels made and then you just make your car, you know? <laughs> you, I can build wheels, but it's so much easier if someone has built the wheels for you. You don't have to reinvent things. And then you can just build off what's already there. I mean, we're already building off um, a lot of like what you've done and what Brian's done and Ezra's done. And that, like, if we had to start further back, it would just take way, way longer. Well, we would, it would probably take infinity because I probably wouldn't get anywhere <laughs> because I would be like, oh, I don't really want to implement like a cross fading looper thing. I think it's more important to have um, an idea or a component, like preferably something pretty small that you just really want to explore. Like it could just be, um, I want to make a wavetable synthesizer. I want to take a wavetable that I made out of uh, striking a glass of water with a spoon. And then I want to um, just build some little wavetables out of that and, and modulate it with an LFO. And then, you know, there you go. That's a nice little bite-sized maybe even just an afternoon project to go figure out how to do that you know um and maybe that's part of it too is is knowing what is bite-sized knowing what is uh the right size of something that you can attain and i think i think a lot of time i'm honestly i'm pretty lazy and, and my uh my reach does not exceed my grasp as often as it probably should and i'll just be like yeah, sure. I'll go make another FM synth because I know how to do it and it's fun and and that's what's uh, that's what's in my head right now. But um, if you're if you're just getting started with super clutter, if you can start small, I think that's I think that's huge because you can you can you can make a sign oscillator, you know, in in one line of code that it's going to be boring, but there's a lot of places you can go with it. You know, it takes a lot of it takes me a lot of time and energy and psychic capital to make something like Yggdrasil or Arcologies happen. You know, that's like, I don't know how many hours I put into each of those, but it's a lot, you know, it's, and it was really rewarding. And it's really fun, but it's like any album I've done after I finish the album, I need to almost take a break from music for a month or two and just kind of get some space after it because it's so intense getting it done. So I shifted to these smaller scripts I can do in a day or two, like, uh, Bacaneco, you know, they're only a couple hundred lines. They're easy to understand. They explore one idea in an interesting way. And I think that's that, that lets you move faster and try a lot more things out without having it be such a big commitment. And I think that's really important um, for any artist in any medium is repetition and practicing your craft over and over again. Uh, there's an old folk tale, art school folk tale that may or may not be apocryphal about um, a pottery class. And the teacher on the first day of class divides the class into two groups. And he says to the first group, you will be graded on how well you can make a single perfect pot. By the end of the semester, you must have one pot that is perfect. Go. And to the other group, he said, you will be graded on the quantity of pots you create this semester. So you need to have X amount of pots in order to get an A, go. And by the end of the semester, sure enough, all the students in group A, their pots are totally flawed. They're falling apart. They're garbage because they spent all their energy trying to just make one thing. And the students in group B have dozens and dozens of pots. And the first ones were horrible, but after a certain point, their quality just started going through the roof. And that's because they started to understand the medium better and they understood the, you know, the nuances of it. And 
that exhilaration of a piece of paper or a blank patch or a blank text file is something that's incredibly intoxicating and it's one of my favorite parts about creating. So that's something I want to do more and more. Just low commitment. I can get this song done in a day. I can get this script done in a day. There's a time and a place for the huge mammoth lumbering things. Those are really fun and really gratifying too, but it's, it's good to have a mix. I've always loved environments, and that's why I've been attracted to code and development. My favorite toy growing up was Legos, and I think that completely programmed my brain to think a certain way, which is directly mappable to programming and modular and music. And I was really interested in making whole worlds and environments out of it. So Arcologies then, you know, is another extension of that. You're, I'm creating the world of the code, and the code creates worlds and it lets other people create worlds. So, And I, I love that too, that I get to create these worlds that are beautiful and cohesive and make sense to me. And then they're tools that other people then get to take and create worlds that are beautiful and cohesive and make sense to them. The thing that motivated me to learn Super Collider though, like the Norns ecosystem aside, was um, the precision is the, is the biggest thing to me. Um, that you can say, okay, I want this oscillator to be 55 hertz period and it's going to be in the left channel and this other one's going to be 55.1 and and then that's it and i just type that in and then boom i have those things and they're like sample precise they're never going to waver and they're uh i can go wire up new things if i want i was a lego maniac when i was a kid and it was the same deal you could grab a piece and you'd be like oh is this going to be a um like a part of a fuselage for a plane or is it going to turn into a truck or am i going to make some kind of like um, I don't know, part, uh, part of a building with it, or, or is it going to be like a computer console? You know, ultimately everything's going to be a spaceship, but like which part of the spaceship is it going to be, you know? When I started programming, I started making tools because I found that I wanted to do something in one particular way, and the tools I saw out there didn't really work for me. So I just made my own tools. And I don't really like doing that. It's kind of boring to make tools. <laughs> It was fun at the time, but it's kind of boring to like upkeep them. Uh, but making your own tools is very, very gratifying. And that's, I think, where it comes in for me for music is that now that I have kind of this idea of like, I can make my own tool to do whatever I need to do. I just take that approach to music. And like the Norns is kind of very accepting and actually extremely comfortable and almost wants you to do that <laughs> to like you take your idea and put it in here and then it'll make it a reality uh it's like the ultimate tooling tool i don't know how to say it it's like a meta tool or something uh but yeah i've i've made tools in the past to do music stuff because i was curious about things but you know like i said it's a lot of kind of building the wheels 
especially in the languages I was using. I didn't, I wasn't aware of Super Collider. I wasn't aware of a lot of this stuff, actually. I think that's the other thing. I like to do things very naively, and uh, that means that it's sort of an experiment in itself, and it causes a lot of learning. So the experience of doing the coding is very enjoyable for me, too. Uh, so, like, I make tools but I also enjoy the process of learning how it actually works and understanding what it actually does. Uh, and that's super useful when it comes to music to understand kind of the intricacies of it. When it gets more complicated too, for like generative music, it's like meta music at that level. And there's a lot of like deep understanding. It's hard to fathom. Like why, why does a song in, played in a different key sound different? I don't really understand why that is. Like it's a different key, yeah, but why is it why does it feel different? That's like a whole like I don't know, musical emotional response thing. I've tried to stop making music for like a little while and it, I usually last a week and I just get really antsy and have to come back to it. It's a, it's a it's a drug, right? It's a uh what's the uh you know uh Tiro Coco Rot? Um they have an album called Music is a Hungry Ghost. I was thinking about that a few days ago. That's it. You know, it's uh, it's uh, all-consuming. Once it's got you in its grasp, there's there's no escape. I think about the art and music and stories and plays and film that have really affected me or inspired me. And you, you catch glimpses of it sometimes almost out of the corner of your eye or the corner of your ear in lyrics or melodies or something. And art's ability to um, communicate more subtle emotions that maybe you can't really put into words. And when you hear that melody played by someone or read that sentence written by someone and you have that moment of connection of of um, someone else understands this feeling or someone else has been through something similar, I think is a very welcoming and comforting thought that I haven't, that I'm not alone here. So as an artist, I see it sharing as like a gift or an offering to say, you're, you're not alone and I think it's sort of a it's a really special honor to to share and to have someone receive your sharing people in music and I'll say myself too often have the realization at some point that music speaks in a or like connects to your brain in a different way than other things I had the realization when I was uh playing with my grandpa's keyboard which had a string sound on it and this was in the 90s so like early 90s so it wasn't a very good string sound but that string sound was just like amazingly sad to me for some reason like sad and beautiful and it was just a string sound it was like if you change it to the piano sound you didn't have the same feeling it was just amazing that to me at that time that a simple sound could evoke so much and music is just a collection of that to me like a collection of these sounds that should evoke something or tell a story or express yourself in a certain way. So music is like this expression and then like just this medium that you can connect to other people's expression in a really cool way. standing on the shoulders of giants, especially in software, but 
you zoom out to all of culture, we're speaking English right now, which has evolved over hundreds of years by thousands of contributors. We're talking into microphones that were built by who knows how many people and designed by who knows how many people across internet lines that are maintained by people we'll never know, using electricity from people we'll never know. So we're all so completely intertwined and in the debt of those that came before us and those that built all the libraries of code that we use every single day without thinking about it. And that's in direct opposition with this myth of essentially the self-made man or the American dream or whatever that might be where you have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do things on your own, which I think is a really toxic and unhealthy way and quite frankly, adversarial way of viewing the world and the zero-sum game that a lot of musicians are sort of unfortunately priced into playing where if you're engaging with someone else's content, you're not engaging with my content. So anyways, there's there's this whole notion of sharing that is when it's tied into both financial incentives as well as personal manifestation it gets really murky as to what why anymore what's what's the why behind it so the way i approach sharing and community and arts and making is is a communal act and it is something that's not um that's not driven by money. You know, this is all open source stuff. This is all for free. I'm not, I'm not, I'm mostly interested in, in the journey rather than the destination. And the destination of likes or listens or downloads or plays is not how I measure my success. I, I measure success in much more, I guess, abstract ways. You know, um, in the Norn study group, for example, was what was someone excited and inspired to make their own script or did someone learn something new through interacting with me that uh, they then took and applied to their own work? Because I, I know that the, the whole reason that I do what I do in my practice musically, with code, with visual art, is because I've seen how other artists have gone about it and I've been really, really inspired by them and I'm, I'm emulating them. I'm, I'm sitting in front of some new gear that I got that was inspired by musicians that I love and that's why I'm using it and this to then like step back and say oh this is mine this is my unique personal individual expression is an argument made in bad faith because we're the sum of all of the experiences we've had and you can either I think fight that or you can embrace that and say that that's beautiful that we're all part of this bigger polymyth this bigger culture and we're all working together if you choose to view it not as a zero-sum game but as like a as a collective i think it gets a lot more interesting Recently, that I've started to release music, like this last year, but I've been playing music for over 20 years, and it—I don't know. I was thinking, I—I I think I posted something on this on about online because other people had this question: is like, why post music? Why release music? 
And I was thinking about it recently because it ne the thought never crossed my mind when I did piano. I would play piano by myself, for myself, maybe other people around, and that was just perfect. Like, didn't need to do anything else. Um, but now that I have like electronic instruments, they kind of want to be shared, I guess. I don't know if want, maybe it's so easy to share. They're like facilitating sharing because they're electronic. So the electronic signals go into your computer and they go into an audio file immediately. You already have an audio file of something you made. Whereas with a piano, there is no audio file unless you set up a microphone, set up a laptop, blah, blah, blah. Like, since you have audio files so immediate to you, it's so easy to share them. And then you ask yourself, should I share them? How should I share them? What should I share them on? Like, I used to make music on my own without even thinking of sharing. And now I have to kind of be deliberate about not sharing, I guess, if that makes sense. <laughs> way guilty of that in the past that um i i'm like shy about how much of a noob i am or um yeah wanting to have a certain level of competency before i feel confident about contributing to something but um just like reaching out and collaborating and you don't necessarily have to commit to a huge project you can just be like Hey, I'm trying to solve this problem and I think you're I think you're smarter about it than me or you have some perspective that I lack and and if you can help me with it, that would be awesome and maybe we can both learn from that experience. Like that can be valuable for everybody involved. I think the the secret is we all have that capacity to do that, but the trick or the trap is that it looks different for everybody. So your magic or your success or your fame or your joy or your validation is not what mine is, is not what anyone else's is. And now I, I'm really focused on just, just meeting people where they're at. I love collaborating with anyone that's willing to essentially like courage is kind of the number one thing that excites me and gets me going. Like if you're, if you're, excited to jump in and learn something and kind of put yourself out there i'm gonna have fun working with you and that's where i get really excited too because then i'm learning things too i think part of why collabing with tyler is so good is he's just really up for like seeing what other people's ideas are and and kind of giving them freedom and not trying to steer him too much and he'll have opinions on things of course but it's like I don't know. I feel like he trusts me, and I, I trust him more because of it. so much for listening to sound and process episode 23 
with Tyler Edders, Ryan Laws, and Zach Scholl. For more of the music featured in this episode, be sure to check out the duo project between Ryan and Tyler called Sidereal Lobby and Zach's solo releases under Infinite Digits. You can learn more about Northern Information by visiting nor.the-rn.info or just pop into any of the threads for their various projects online. As always, Sound and Process is an exploration of the artists of lines, so come join the conversation at llllllll.co. That's 8 Thank you so much for listening.